Hello and welcome to Sober Mesa podcast. My name is Owen Gomart and today my guest is Andrew Dowling. Andrew is a professor of Catalan history and he recently published, it was last year, a new history of, of, of Catalonia, which I recommend to all our listeners. It's a, it's a great read. Uh, Andrew, welcome back. Thank you for having me back and thank you uh, for the kind mention to my book. No, I, re- I really recommend it. It's a, it's a very ambitious, a very ambitious history uh, told told very well, but over I think what it is two hundred forty pages, something like that. It's you know it's uh, you pack a lot into it's quite a yeah, a yeah, very sort of broad brush, and uh, that is myself open to lots of criticism, but in a way that that's fine as well. Exactly. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Open up a few debates. So I guess today, the last time we spoke was I think in May, just after the the, the local and regional elections. Pedro Sanchez's sort of bombshell announcement that he was going to call early elections, which which seems for me anyway seems like a long time ago. I mean, we're talking like only sort of three or four months ago, but you know, so so much has happened since we've had, you know, in July I was saying we had the elections in which his socialist party and a, and a wider sort of progressive plurinational majority just managed to managed to avoid a right wing victory. But we are in, you know, I guess, a situation now of of trying to construct a new governing majority. Obviously, the 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 news, the negotiations are, are centered, are focused on the when well, the talks for it for an amnesty law for for the Catalan independence movement. So maybe just in in general terms, can you lay out where you think we are in this moment in in Spanish politics? Yeah, well, I think we're we're in a moment really where you know the two major, if you want, sides in this negotiation sort of like. The forces of Catalan independence and the Spanish government, or the Spanish government to be the Spanish Socialist Party, are in a situation where they they need each other. But what they want to achieve from these negotiations are very different things. So you know, both have sort of maximalist and minimum minimum positions, and I think I think um, we can probably anticipate that it's more much more likely than not that they're going to achieve a deal. But I think before that deal is finally sort of, you know, uh, completed, we're going to see quite a few moments of sort of like near crisis and negotiations because both, I think both sides for me, the Catalan independent side and the Spanish Socialist Party, have got to deal with a wider public in, in a sense, their own wider supporters, who they both have to sell a deal that may be, you know, quite difficult to sell because... Nobody is going to get everything that they want. You know, um, we've seen we've seen a summer really that's continued into September, where you know d- demands have escalated. So we saw the the declaration. You know that there has to be some kind of um, progress towards a referendum on self determination that's been passed by the Catalan Parliament. These are all, if you want, these are all wars of position in in my interpretation, and we'll see. Once we get down to the real hard negotiating position, how far each side is willing to compromise on it, on its own pretty, you know, stable position. So that that's sort of my sort of take on it overall. No, nothing particularly profound or incisive there either. Well, I mean, I think I think it is interesting that probably the one of the key figures here is obviously the the ex Catalan Premier Carlos Puigdemont, who who remains in exile or however we want to describe it in, in Brussels and has has seemingly softened his line. I mean, I think it's, quite, as you say, nearly the rhetoric has gone up and down. But even even at its height, you mentioned the declaration last week in which the two main Catalan pro-independence parties came out with this statement saying, you know, any deal for a new government requires, I think the language they used was a little bit more ambiguous than I think some of the headlines, but it was, it was something like, yeah, some some steps towards a referendum or something like that, and I think for me that's the key is that whatever they're trying to they're trying to talk to their base, but they are always allowing and ensuring that there's enough margin that you know they're not saying anything definitive which they can't roll back later. Like there's no we, at least in September since um, Yolanda Diaz, the Spanish deputy prime minister, went to visit um, visit him in the European Parliament, and then I think the next day he gave a speech laying at his demands. Puigdemont hasn't he hasn't said sort of you know definitive statements referendum in the next four years or or we're out of here. Yeah, I mean I I mean I think if if we if we had to you know um, use a yardstick 
some of the statements made by politicians in the past yeah. and use them to sort of evaluate the contemporary position, we'd find, you know, lots of really good examples. I think earlier in the year, you know, Carlos Puigdemont said about, um, you know, he wouldn't buy a secondhand car off Pedro Sanchez. So that, you know, low levels of trust. Famously, of course, Pedro Sanchez said about Pablo Iglesias, you know, that um, doing a deal with Podemos would keep him up at night before he went on to do a deal. So there's lots, I think there are lots of instances where the, where remarks, comments, you know, statements by the political class in the past shouldn't necessarily expect us to think that they're going to be trapped by this position. And I think you're absolutely right that Carlos Puigdemont has seen there's an opportunity there for the movement he leads. He, he's a very kind of like admired figure within certain sectors of Catalan independence. He's the he's the kind of, you know, he's the father figure. He's got kind of like, he's perceived to have a high level of integrity. Uh, he, he represents symbolically and, and in a real sense, a certain narrative of Catalan independence. He's the kind of the king in waiting over the water. I think is a way of sort of like thinking about him in Brussels. But he personally, he's been in exile, whether you want to call it self-imposed exile, whether you want to call it political exile for over, you know, coming up to six years, six years, in fact, now. That's a very, very long time. He, he He's Catalan, you know, through and through. He, he wants to be home, but he doesn't want to make it about himself because he's, he's already made, from his point of view, a high personal sacrifice of living essentially in Belgium and elsewhere over the past six years. And, and he doesn't want, he doesn't want a perception formed amongst his public that he's surrendered for sort of personal benefits. So he, he's engaged in a, in a, in a kind of balancing act. Um, he's trying to put to one side, I think his own personal position and those uh, in a similar position to himself. And he, but he also recognizes, I feel that there's an, there's an opportunity that may not come again. Um, you know, at certain times, the way the numbers fall, the way the electoral arithmetic um, lands in certain contexts allows you to extract really meaningful concessions from those that need you. We should also know, and I think this is important to know as well, that the Catalan independence movement um, is is on a, in a kind of a downward trajectory. Yeah. It's lost real capacity for, for mass mobilization. The mobilization of the 11th of September, you know, uh, was was pretty low in comparative terms. High, if you want, you know, it's much higher than the the Pepe was able to mobilize in Madrid. But from a movement that was able to get a million plus, even one and a half million on the streets over the over the past 10 years, there's a clear decline. I think also very importantly, um, the recent demonstration on the 1st of October was really small scale to commemorate. The referendum, referendum, you know, we're talking about thousand plus people. So the street, the streets in that sense is no longer a major actor. And yeah. there were lots of calls to demonstrate, but it was it was a pretty low turnout. Then the second thing that I think is really important is, of course, the electoral results. The electoral yeah. results in May uh, and the electoral results in the Spanish general election showed that the Catalan independence forces as currently constituted are on a downward trajectory as well. Whether that's to do with calls from some of the, the hardline movement for abstention is, I think that there's an element of that, but I think there's much more kind of like a public that's highly demobilized, highly disenchanted, is just sort of thinking, what's the point of voting? So there's a there's a sort of disconnect there. So going back to my point, for Junts, for Pujamont, there's a real opportunity there to extract something meaningful that may not come around if there's another general election in Spain. No, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, and I think you're right. He doesn't want to, I guess, actually both sides don't want, are, are trying to avoid that perception that it's uh, a straightforward exchange. Now, I guess on, on the side of the socialists, on the side of Pedro Sanchez, is that he doesn't want, they want to avoid for various reasons the perception that this is just a, you know, a straightforward exchange. You get your amnesty, I get my four years in office or whatever. And I think one of the reasons is well, one of the reasons is is legal. They ha they're going to have to justify this this amnesty law in front of the the uh, constitutional courts. One of the issues around that amnesty is going to be the preamble. I think that's going to be very hard to to negotiate. How how do they frame? How do they they justify it in legal terms? Because obviously this this law is going to be scrutinized heavily. You know, 
the the largest association associations of judges of public prosecutors, the main police unions, they've all come out, you know, as you as probably would expect, very much against it using for associations of, of you know states officials using very polemical terms, political terms, not that different from from the the right wing popular party. And yeah, I mean, so they will need they will need a sort of justification for this amnesty law. How do they how do they frame it? It can't just be that this is a straightforward exchange. And I guess Pedro Sanchez has slowly, I mean, I think you were talking about, you know, changing changing positions there earlier. You think back to his position in 2019 on this issue, in which, you know, he was I, I remember the leaders debate before the 2019 election, you know, him sort of saying, I'm mean, I you know, I will bring Wishman to justice, etc. But he's the the great, you know, he's a he's a brilliant political operator, right? Realist has no problem sort of assuming his own contradictions. Two years later, he's you know issuing dultos, the pardons for the the um, the jails, Catalan leaders who hadn't fled, changed the law, etc. So I mean, I guess that's the issue is for both. Now, how how yeah, how do they sell it to the base? I think for him, for for Sanchez, maybe it's easier in the sense that I don't know. I think in two three years time. When there is another election, I mean, they form a government now. No one's going to t- be voting on an amnesty. I think it's going to be voting on what they do in the next two or three years. Whereas I think for Wiesman, probably it is more difficult. He 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 has the motivations, the interest, as you were saying, to do this deal. But at the same time, there is a possibility of a rival party to his rights or a candidate a candidacy with um, his his fellow. Member of the European Parliament, I can't remember her name now. Ponsatine, uh, Clara Ponsatine. Yeah, but she, yeah, she, yeah. she could, yeah, she could potentially run, or or someone in that orbit run as a sort of hardline independentist vote, trying to pick up these abstentionists. So I guess yeah, both both are trying to are trying to balance balance these different 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 elements. Yeah, I I think for me one very important thing, the sort of like a wider framing of the whole thing is like what what caused. Why did sort of, you know, Catalan nationalism embrace the cause of independence? And I think one thing that was very important, uh, and it's been written about a lot, is, is the, the notion of recognition. Okay. Um, the notion that they feel that their culture, their identity, their language has not been sort of recognized, it's been sort of like persecuted or, or sort of major impediments have, put in, have been put in front of it by the Spanish authorities, by the Spanish state. You know, they very much speak in terms of the, the authorities of the Spanish state, the judicial authorities, et cetera, et cetera. And I think one really, really important thing that we haven't mentioned, and I think it's really important, I, and I hope it remains, is the fact that you can now use um, yes. different languages of the state in the Spanish parliament. You know, I've sort of spoken about that um, previously for, for years, for decades, just sort of, spit, you know, no one sort of listening. And I think that's a really major um, political advance because... Spain is a multilingual reality. To give, to reflect that multilingual reality within the Spanish Parliament, you know, this will become, hopefully this will become normalised, hopefully it will never be reversed by a future PP government, um, you know, and it will just become part of the furniture of Spanish political life, that the different languages spoken in Spain are used with complete normality. And that that is a really important moment of what of the thing I was speaking about in terms of recognition. And I think there there is a fear. There is a fear. You know, you're talking about Clara Ponsati, and there are sort of hardline, uncompromising, if you want, fundamentalist, pro-independent sectors who are absolutely out there that they have a voice. They have a voice quite a lot on social media. That's probably disproportionate to their support on the street because they're not actually out yeah. as that high number of people but they will they are worried i think about spain um making important concessions spain inverted commas making important concessions to catalan independence so you know we get the pardons we now get um catalan being used in the parliament we get rights for catalan within europe and in the european parliament we get an amnesty for you know major and minor figures since the first of october 2017, all, many of these things, including potentially future economic agreements, can really take the wind out of the sails of the Catalan independence movement 
a Catalan independence movement that I mentioned already is already on a current downward trajectory. There was also some really, really interesting data out a week or two ago from the Catalan polling organization that showed that, that young people are much less in, interested in the, the, the cohort between 18 to 25 are not turning towards independence. So those who have, you know, like a kind of demographic belief that as, as, as more and more young people enter the electoral rolls, you get a degree of inevitability about Catalan independence. Well, the data is showing that actually young people in their, in their sort of identity strands are much more kind of plural and much more fluid. So even the great hope that time will deliver us in a pro-independence majority, that's no longer on the cards. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of discontent, a lot of frustration amongst what, what I don't know what's the correct, uh, but let's call them the hardcore independence, the no compromise, the no surrender, you know? The no yes. Surrender yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, what was this, this, this slogan, uh, day after the amnesty is proclaimed, the new declaration of independence. And you're like, well, cut. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we isn't coming home. Just, just to end up, you know, being arrested for another symbolic declaration. And absolutely. And I think the, you know, the Assemblée, the Catalan National Assembly is writ It was once a very major actor in Catalan political life. Today, it's a minor actor, you know, the, the current president, Dolores Fallu, makes these declarations and they basically can be no, ignored now by the political class. A few years ago, they yeah. were very, very important. They had a high political residence. I mean, she she's living in her own sort of like um, fairyland, really, in terms of what she thinks is, is kind of like achievable. I think we can absolutely say that Catalan independence is not on the horizon in the short and medium term future. That is an absolute political reality. There is not going to be a referendum on self-determination given by the Spanish government, by the Spanish state authorities in the foreseeable future. It's just it's just not on the cards. It's not going to happen. And we can immediately rule out those two, you know, those two approaches or those two outcomes. They're not going to happen. No. I mean, I guess, yeah, it's the question then. I mean, that's it. I mean, I guess for for the two big independence parties, I guess one of one of the issues is that, in ter in terms of potentially blocking it, the deal, is the rivalry between them as well. That we saw it back in two thousand seventeen, when the famous uh, Gabriel Rufián's famous uh, tweet about the one hundred and fifty five uh, gold coins, or whatever. Nobody wants to be portrayed as the traitors, as the ones who surrender. Esquerra Republicana have had to sort of accept or like live with that label for the last few years from the hardcore of the independence movements, including at times from Guishamon and Junts. I was talking to a, a, an Esquerra senator uh, last week, and you know, he was sort of saying, "Well, look, we're just, you know, well, welcome to welcome to the the realm of negotiation. You can't, you you can remain in Waterloo, and yeah, no, you know, with your no surrender slogans, etc. But yeah, the re the reality is." what it is they have this incredible opportunity they are kingmakers and I, I mean what's also incredible is the fact that an amnesty you know an amnesty has been one of the sort of core demands of the independence movement since 2017 Absolutely. uh you know we see the, the yellow ribbons everywhere Catalonia, etc and for part of the independence movement has now just become you know this is this is it's it seems inconsequential it's just an it's just another betrayal I guess it's difficult for the two parties in the sense that both want to avoid, as they didn't do that, the sense that they're the ones making the concessions. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, the, the political rivalry between Junts and before that, obviously, Convergencia and Esquerra Republicana has been a fundamental piece of the puzzle, really, um, since at least 2010, if not before, because obviously there was a government where Esquerra Republicana were in and they... And, Convergencia were 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 in were, were sort of uh, on the outside, and and Convergencia at that time never forgave Esquerra Republicana for going into a kind of you know a, a, a left leaning government, the tripartite, between two thousand three to two thousand ten. So this intense political rivalry has been an essential feature of Catalan political life, and it hasn't gone away. And I think you're absolutely right that um, that Esquerra Republicana have paid a very high price. They paid a a high electoral price as well. There's been a lot of erosion. I think we talked about this in May, that there's a lot of abstention going on with the Esquerra Republicana. They, you know, they lost um, half a million votes. 
Um, so far, and this is the real concern for Esquerra Republicana, their great concern is that the abstention switches to Junts or to other political actors. I think within that within that political rivalry, we should also remember that at some point, possibly next year, at the latest, early 2025, there's going to be new elections for the Catalan Parliament. And the rivalry, again, between Esquerra Republicana and Junts is going to be a fundamental. Who's going to come out first? Who has the opportunity to be the new president of the General Aita? You know, it's not inconceivable that in late 2024, early 2025, a good result for Junts could see Carlos Puigdemont return as president exactly. of the regional government of Catalonia. I mean, so, at the very least, I imagine he's going to be the candidate. Oh, I mean, that's that. When people when people t when people take these these like sort of statements, these very like uh, rhetorical statements about uh, about you know, uh, want, wanting steps towards a referendum, I think we have to remember this is his path back to power. Or his path back to being a candidate. Like, I mean, the idea, I think it is. And yes. It's always been. Yeah. And it's always been for Catalan independence, uh, sorry, for Catalan nationalism, rather. It's always been for mainstream Catalan events. Authority in Barcelona, authority in the regional government yeah. is much more important than what goes on in Madrid. You know, that's kind of goes back to Jordi Bujal, et cetera. Like, you know, what we're able to do, what we're able to achieve, um, issues around the language and culture and promotion of Catalonia. Power in, in Barcelona and the regional government is fundamental. They see it as the seat of Catalan, you know, um, sovereignty. That it's it's not it's not from the point of view of either Catalan nationalism or Catalan independence. It's not just a regional parliament. It is it is given a high degree of legitimacy, and it is a very important um, piece in the overall kind of like picture. And I think one of the things going back to the rivalry between Esquerra. And Junts, one of the things we've seen is that we may see that Junts are more willing to compromise than Esquerra Republicana. Yeah. Because one of the fears of Esquerra Republicana, of course, is that Junts are seen to walk away with a better deal than they've been able to achieve over the past four, five, six years. So we may see, you know, and I think there will be moments when we're staring over the abyss in this negotiations. It may be that the most recalcitrant actor at the end is Esquerra Republicana that um, that sort of raises the demands and when but it is incredible. It's incredible at this at this point. I mean, the idea that they're not going to sign up is not credible because it's a bit like with Sumar. I mean, the, uh, Yolanda Diaz came out this week and said, "No, we're far from a deal," but it's just not credible. That's, I mean, they don't have Sumar doesn't have the same leverages. Only only as Dallas did four years ago. The, the idea that a, that they're not going to sign up for for a coalition is not credible, and it's a little bit similar. Not to, not anywhere near the same degree, but with with Esquerra, Esquerra have very much you know it's 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 leader uh, well Yokaris when he was in jail basically orchestrated this sort of strategic turn towards dialogue towards you know negotiation and I think yeah they have as we were saying you know paid quite a heavy price. Rufian is always an interesting example in that sense going from, from tweeting about Wiesman potentially portraying Catalonia to himself be heckled on the street as a sort of you know Spanish patsy whatever. But I think at this point, is it is it credible that that Iscara would you know would say it would would uh, potentially turn it down? I mean, I think they could they can say it, they can posture, but I just don't know how credible that threat threat is. Yeah, um, I think I think you know it's. Um, I showed um, a, a clip to my students on Monday of um, Rebel Without a Clause, uh, Rebel Without a Cause rather, Chicken Game. Um, of course, you know the famous the famous uh, drive between two cars, and one of them obviously goes off the cliff. So I think that 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 will be that's happening. I think between the Spanish Socialist Party and the Catalan Independence Movement, sort of like you know, who who will sort of yeah. stop first? But that's also happening. That image, if you want that imagery, is also happening. Uh, I think um, a pragmatic turn on the part of Junts is is a, is a problem for Esquerra Republicana yeah. because they they have owned that political narrative of compromise of pragmatism. If if Junts start kind of treading on that terrain where does the scatter turn um and i think i think they will do their best to extract something i just i can't even anticipate what that might be but i think they'll they feel the need they will feel the need to walk away with something specific yeah. concrete to say a scatter republicana have but, seen yeah. x and junts have achieved y i think it's absolutely necessary for yeah. them to say we thank something Yes.
I know, I presume, I mean, I don't know, but obviously there's a whole, whole range of other issues in terms of finances of Catalonia or, for example, uh, regional powers, competencies over the the railways, etc. I imagine it would be something more concrete like that. I mean, I just don't see, I don't see the socialists want to go much beyond what they've done in terms of the question of self-determination. I think it would be something, you know, it's going to be something like what they already have, that the question of self-determination is is open for a discussion within within some sort of committee, but I can't imagine it would go much beyond that. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of quibbling uh, to find ambiguous language that yeah. satisfies both sides, that both each side can say hey, it means this, and, it, and the other side can say it means this, and, and I think that will be sort of necessary um, for both sides to, you know, to go back to the, at the beginning to sort of communicate to their public, to their voters that we've achieved something important and meaningful here. So yeah, absolutely. I think some of the some of this fine fine print will be really important. But I think what if if if, um, if our perceptions are broadly accurate and we see a, a, a new progressive government formed in Spain. I think one very important thing, actually, that probably hasn't given quite the attention it needs, is that it's going to be a less progressive government than the one. Yes, I was going to bring that up. Actually, yes, yeah, yeah. Because Jans, of course, in terms of political economy, in terms of social issues, in terms of most of them, is on the centre right. So, if we get a stable situation of Spanish government for say, you know, three four years of political stability in Spain, they're, they're going to have much less uh, opportunity. To, to 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 offer the progressive legislation that they've had over the past period of government. So I think that that will be, you know, that we've also got a similar, much le- much uh, on, a, on a much lower scale at the moment. But there are Basque elections on the horizon. We've oh. also got a very important political rivalry going on between Bildu and the Basque Nationalist Party. Uh, the Basque Nationalist Party aligned with Jones in terms yes. of political economy. So. I think some of these areas will be ones to watch in terms of what is achievable. And I think Sumar have got, you know, they've got nowhere else to go. Oh, yeah. But, um, but you know, we haven't really sort of discussed them. And, and in a sense, well, I was going to, I was going to come on to that actually a bit, but I just want to, well, yeah. while we're talking about this, maybe just to talk about the actual amnesty, because the terms of the amnesty, because I think there are interesting questions there. One, one around its scope. So like when, you know, who, who shall be included for what periods, et cetera, because will this go back, for example, uh, to like sort of Arthur Mass, et cetera, or and yeah. up to what point, who exactly will be included? I think Omnium came out with a list of 1,400 politicians, activists, protesters who could, you know, who should be included and received, and received uh, or be included within this amnesty. There's also... I think a more thorny question of should the police who were involved in the sort of the violence on the 1st of October, the referendum day in 2017, should they be given, given this is going to go up in front of the constitutional court and will be contested. How, how do we frame the amnesty? It's a very, it's, it's an exceptional measure. It's not something, you know, we're talking, we're going back, you know, probably to the, to the, the famous 1977 amnesty law. Um, to to find something comparable in Spain, and you have to be. I guess the idea is trying to frame it and justify it in terms of a moment of reconciliation or a moment of, you know, overcoming this this uh, this political conflict. Most amnesties include both sides, and it would be difficult, you know, in terms of I think uh, public opinion in Catalonia. But maybe it's it's a necessary thing. Also, for, for the socialists in Spain, it might seem more of a sort of more you know more digestible in that sense if if the police are included yeah i i would say that including the police is fundamental has to be a fundamental um part of the amnesty and 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 i think some of the noises i've seen really in in terms of catalan independence is that they kind of broadly accept that it's actually if 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 the amnesty is sufficient this is the thing you know the what is the character of the amnesty who does it include because there's yeah. some major acts of civil disobedience and burning tires and roads and some of the tsunami democratic. I mean, you yeah. know, like the streets of Barcelona were burning in a certain period in uh, 2019. So yeah, so these what the, the the scope of the amnesty, I think, will be 
one of those fundamental areas that has to be sort of determined. But I think a broad an amnesty as possible is is really the only solution because I think if you just sort of have a, a narrow amnesty that includes members of the political class uh, and sort of, you know, the average political activist who engaged in sort of major acts of disruption is not included. I think that's that's a major problem and that's going to be very difficult to sell. I think the way you do it is by including the police. The police engaged in sort of excessive force, to put it mildly, over the course of the referendum and, and, uh, and you know, it can even be other police officers who engaged in other stuff um, depending on their character and that's the way you sell it to, you know, it's an amnesty for everyone and I think that's the only, that for me, that's the only serious route to achieve yes. a meaningful amnesty. Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, I think, yeah, no, Jeff. And I guess the other issue around that, and we saw with the previous reform of the the, the laws around corruption, et cetera, was that how do you ensure that the courts apply the amnesty as it is intended? Now, I mean, well, obviously the question is, how do you make it as, give them as little margin for maneuver as possible? I mean, we've seen this also, with, obviously, with the, uh, the set controversial sexual consent law. Um, how do you how do you ensure that a predominantly conservative, you know, uh, judiciary, which, you know, have come have issued very political statements or their associations have around the amnesty even the you know the head judge in uh Guishamon's case has pretty much come out and said it's, it's not constitutional etc so i guess the question is yeah how do you ensure that they will actually apply it i mean that you know that when he lands in in, in barcelona how do they ensure he's not going to be arrested basically yeah absolutely i mean i think um a major issue as you rightly indicate in in spanish sort of governance in recent years as the judicial system acting as a kind of like parallel power and i think um a new government whether we can call it progressive or not not quite as progressive as the previous government i think judicial reform which would in this case would be supported by mainstream and radical yes. capitalism and yeah. be supported by Janssen Republicana. so there is a, a parliamentary majority to achieve that i think judicial reform to sort of clip the wings of the Spanish judiciary has to be a very important uh, measure. Uh, some of it can't be achieved because you need um, the popular party on side for, for for two-thirds majority, but there has to be areas to meaning, you know, including appointing more judges, et cetera, et cetera. I think um, the, the, the parallel power that essentially is a non-democratic power that is intervening in the democratic life of the country is not an acceptable uh, you you know uh, intervention on the part of the judiciary. They are acting as sort of unelected interferers in 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 a parliamentary system, and that that cannot be acceptable in a, in a parliamentary system. No, I mean it, it is it is sort of incredible. The largest public prosecutors association in Spain released a statement this week, say or maybe it was last week, saying that the amnesty would be the equivalent of some of the judi- or moves against the independence of the judiciary in Poland and Hungary. So it's they, they, I mean, it is incredible. They frame it in those terms. And I think the same as even called on the EU to intervene as they have done. That's, you know, Pedro Sanchez has Orban, Orban-esque figure. I mean, and I, I don't know how serious, I mean, obviously that, that these statements I presume are for a domestic audience. They must realize internationally in Brussels, Pedro Sanchez is seen as, you know, very pro-European, modern, you know, mainstream politician. I think, you know, the European institutions, the European barriers would be very happy to see a resolution of this. Of this conflict, conflict in this way. So, going back to what you were saying there, I guess about the the progressive nature of this future future government. I mean, I guess there is scope, I suppose, for reforms, as you were saying, around the judiciary, around speech laws. You know, the the guide laws still in place. There is a whole host of sort of maybe institutional reforms that could could be uh, on the agenda. At the same time, Pedro Sanchez Socialist Party did so well. You know, in terms of like working class vote, in terms of you know getting out, um, you know, particularly among I think the lowest, the bottom twenty percent of income earners, etc., with you know increases of uh, minimum wage, labor reform, etc. I mean, I guess there is a th- you know there is that idea that okay, Andalusia, the Spanish heartland, whatever, will accept the amnesty if the the price of olive oil remain you know is 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 capped at a certain level or whatever, like i.e. social reforms. Is is there yeah? Is there a threat in that sense that this this new government 
might not be able to deliver in that in that direction. Yeah, I mean, it's going to have if 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 it, if if it's able to achieve, uh, you know, a new government if a new government is achieved, um, it's going to have a very very narrow uh, majority. Um, it's going to be constantly required to engage in deep negotiation over all major pieces of and including minor pieces of legislation. Um, you know, it, it's not going to be a strong government in that sense. Uh, we can anticipate regular mini crises yeah. on the part of this government. Um, Spanish nationalism has not gone away. Spanish nationalism, you know, whether whether Vox has peaked, obviously lots of us would like to, to hope that, that Vox is, has peaked, etc. You know, we, 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 we don't know. But, um, you know, the, the, the Spanish nationalism has many expressions. And I think some of the things that are expressed by the judiciary and in terms of kind of like their reading of the nation and their reading of sovereignty, these are deeply held beliefs. Yeah. Um, then they're not just sort of, you know, like political statements. They're up for negotiation. You know, these are deeply held. The occasional utterances by senior figures in the Spanish armed forces as well. You know, these are these, these are part of their own sort of reading of the world, their own reading of Spanish society, their own reading of what they conceive of as the Spanish nation. You know, um, many of them see the cause of Catalan independence as, as sort of a, almost as a treacherous cause and they need to be punished because they, you know, they tried to leave Spain and Spain is sacred and Spain ha it has always been unified since the Romans or, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, this, this was just said yesterday in a in an interview with a guy in El País, a kind of like writer and intellectual. I mean, you know, they said Sp Sp Spanish, the, the unity of Spain begins with Covadonga. I mean, you know, wow. Uh, hey, but no, it's like, yeah, why, what can you say? So that's, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so you know, this has always been uh, a very important um, piece. Um, there is a great opportunity to give some meaningful recognition to the Catalans and the Basques. In the next few years, I think you know, going back to what we said earlier about the the multilingual reality of the Spanish Parliament that, that becomes embedded, that would be really, really important. And I think it has to become so normalised that the right can never reverse it, and and that will be you know uh, of fundamental importance. Spanish Spanish nationalism at some point has to recognise a basic reality, and you know you've had people come on and talk about this so many times on the podcast that Spain is. A multilingual, multicultural, political reality, and it, it's just accepting that, you know. Um, I don't. I mean, know I, yeah. I mean, I guess that that is the issue. I mean, it's a dilemma for the for the Spanish right, for with the popular party in particular. Where, which which way do they go? In one sense, in in terms of percentage wise, they the Spanish right did you know did well in, in terms of the you know in terms of the, the July elections, but their vote was divided between between two parties so they, they didn't quite reach a majority but there is there is one reading that you continue down that line and you know you can't you can't govern by winning in you know in in the smaller provinces and not doing so well in Bar in Catalonia at the Basque country and there is absolutely. there is obviously the other reading which I, I presume say hope wants to go more in that direction but doesn't doesn't have doesn't have the authority to do it within his own party is to try and reach out to uh, to these to Catalonia to to the Basque country etc. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think the the Popular Party and the FECO it, it has a kind of like a dream, which is forming a new government at a certain point in the future with the Basque Nationalist Party and Junts because they're broadly aligned on political yeah. economy. Um, a comparative solving of the Catalan question over the next two or three years would facilitate that and a decline if a decline of Vox happens and you and you get essentially the the Partido Popular soaking up a lot of Vox and you know that 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 may be something that we see further down the line. Obviously making predictions about the future is always a, a fool's game, but I think that is the goal. I think Fekul ha, has seen off the potential a so challenge for now. I think he he's stabilized He's embedded as leader of the opposition for the foreseeable future. Um, let you know, many many things are you know going to happen in the next few years, and we go back to our the original basis of this discussion. 
they've still got to form a new government and they're uh, there are deep and very important negotiations and, and uh, finalizing of agreements to happen before that can be the the ultimate outcome. But I think a popular party led by Fejo would accept the multilingual reality of the Spanish parliament. You know, no one could have imagined that the spokesman for the Partido Popular would say a few sentences in in the Basque language. And then you had to apologise, though, basically. I mean, I like it's... Uh... He, he, he did, he did, he did. I mean, you know, they're, 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 you know the, the, the Fejo inner circle, they, they they keep making timid steps in that direction and then are, are sort of, yeah. um, you know, punished by their by, by their party. You know, they don't... I don't know if they have the authority. You have Asnar, you have Ayuso at the backgrounds. You have the Madrid press, the most important. And obviously, he had... He seemingly has, I think, stabilized, stabilized position, but by trying to reach out to that sort of hardline element um, and trying to appease appease these these figures, I mean, this I think it's this Sunday, isn't it? The, the march in Barcelona against the amnesty. He he will be there besides uh, Vox's leader Abascal. You know, the photo he's trying to avoid for so long. This Sunday we will see it. And so on, on the one hand, you know, in in his failed investiture uh, debate, he, he did, you know, he, when he was addressing the Basque Nationalist Party, etc. You know, saying, you know, what are you going to get from Sanchez, etc. You have more in common with us, but it it it, it, all, it all depends on the on Vox disappearing, and that's that's a big that's a big ask with him and with that line. I mean, you know, there's one question: Can a figure like Ayuso absorb Vox Vox's vote? It's another question: Can they? Oh, no, absolutely. I think um, the turnout on Sunday will be interesting. Uh, I think one of the things that won't happen is you won't get many Catalans attending. You know. In the middle of October 2017, you had a one million plus march mm. in the streets of Barcelona against Catalan independence, and that was a rare instance of the non-independent supporters mobilizing in Catalonia. Um, you know, they were kind of like they were they were anxious, they were scared, they were frightened, and that was a an instance of mass mobilization. But across Catalan society, there's very strong support for the amnesty. You know, this yeah. is a an 80 percent figure so you know a few a couple of hundred coaches coming in from the rest of spain the cities of barcelona is not really gonna make much difference to the wider political picture yeah no i think that's probably that's probably true um what's i guess yeah lastly what i guess the, the dilemma for the for the spanish left there's been some discussions in the press this week about about ministries i mean it's it's almost certain that for example the socialists are going to, uh, you know, insist on, on taking back the equality ministry, the gender equality ministry from uh, Irene Montero, the Podemos deputy leader. I guess the issue with Sumar is, yeah, they, as we said, they have less leverage. They are a very complicated alliance of left-wing parties and sort of rootlets or, you know, small small little groups. They're going to get probably what they had. Unidos Podemos had five ministries in the last, the last government, I imagine they Maximum they're going to get is four this time around. They have to, I imagine, give one to Podemos just to avoid a, an open civil war. So I, I imagine the, the compromise figure will be uh, the actual current leader, Yoni Balara, will maintain social affairs or something. I imagine Yolanda Diaz will maintain labor ministry. There's a question then, what proposals, you know, they had a very quite interesting agenda around labor rights in the electoral program, you know, in terms of like completing that sort of labor reform around, you know, and then there's big questions in this pre- in the press this week. Maybe, for example, the ex-Barcelona mayor, Adakalau, would get housing or something like that, which would be yeah. an interesting ministry. But as you say, within a very difficult operation, in a very difficult majority. So how how do you see? I guess yeah, the prospects for Sumara you know, going forward. Yeah, I think I think um, for me the 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 key piece in all of this is is Podemos to Podemos. The struggle, if you want, the unresolved struggle, um, but they, well, they must kind of basically reluctantly accepted yeah. their, you know, recategorization re- into Samar. But but they must, you know, as uh, as as Jerry Adams almost said, well, they must haven't gone away, um, <laughs> you know. And I, and I think that there is an unresolved tension. Um, does Podemos want to simply just disappear within Samar? I don't. I don't think it does. I think. One of the key issues will be: Does Podemos have have a political future or not? Um, are they prepared to go away, to go quietly, and just 
subdue yeah. themselves essentially into Samar. Clearly, that uh, you know, in terms of ministerial roles, that'd be an important part. But I think there is a very, I think there's a strong cohort within Podemos across Spain that wants Podemos to maintain its voice. Um, you know, Pablo Iglesias has a very strong media presence. He's he's a strong articulator of that narrative. Um, I think it's a very big ask for Podemos to essentially just disappear within. And I, I think partic- particularly because I mean, what what is Sumar is the other question because you know it's exactly. it's it's such exactly. a strange political beast in a sense. You know, it doesn't come yeah. from any sort of organic social movement outside you know outside the institutions. It's sort of just a compromise for a platform. And some of the new people, you know, some of the new people uh, Yolanda Diaz has brought in have come in for his criticisms. For example, the, the, uh, particularly the, the the new parliamentary spokeswoman, they were absent from the investiture votes. And it was a very poor, very, it was a, one, a very poor comm strategy and two, a very poor delivery. And, yeah. you know, and the issue is who, firstly, who is she? Uh, I, I, off the top of my head, I can't even remember her name, which is terrible. But like, it's, you know, these, these are people whose only political capital is, you know, the fact that they were, they are allies of Yolanda. The same with the number two in, in, uh, in Madrid, the ex-UN ambassador. These aren't, they aren't people with a clear national profile, et cetera. So it's, it's, it is a question. What, what, is, what is Sumar as well? Absolutely. Because I, th- I think you discussed, um, not an episode of me, but somebody said a very good observation, which is, the Samar comes from a trade union tradition and well, they must come from some sort of like a university intellectual yeah. uh, tradition. Um, but th- those recent appointments uh, that you've just listed and mentioned, they don't seem to come from a trade union tradition. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the big ambiguity. I think there was always, I mean, I, I've, I, I tended to write a lot about the, the trade union sort of tradition and, and there, there is that, that element in Sumar, but there is also an element of the, of, of, of the Greek European greens, which I wouldn't be so, so so happy about, it. and it's it's also the fact that I mean I think it was a hastily put t- together an alliance. You know they didn't expect that. You know they were caught off guard by the the surprise elections, etc. But there is a question: How do you actually move forward with this as a project beyond that? Very you know hastily put together electoral platform. So I think yeah, there are big questions there. Obviously, Podemos was also an, ex- an electoral expression of the Kinsey MA movement. And I think going back to what we said about the, the Catalan independence movement, the deactivation of the streets in the rest of Spain is also very evident. And, you know, Sumar, in a sense, hasn't come from a, a new wave, you know, of sort of political activism. It's it's sort of a purely institutional force. I, I mean, I, I think Podemos has to make one last fight for its existence in a way. To, to uh, because I think as, as as I mentioned I think it's a massive ask on the part of God almost everything it's tried to achieve over the past ten years to simply disappear from from and just be a kind of you know a minor actor in this broad similar coalition I think there are you know the next Podemos conference etc it has to make a decision do we just fold or or are we going to be an, a, a political actor in our own right Yeah obviously the issue was that Poland. Podemos also fragmented into many parts. So, you know, that, the tradition of Podemos is obviously also there in Mas, uh, Mas País, et cetera, the anti-capitalists. It, it is a difficult task. So I guess to sum up, we, we're moderately confident of, of, a, of a government. When I guess November, we're looking at a November government. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I, th- I think, I think uh, the position to be in it is, you know, a, a moderately optimistic, absolutely, that we will see a new government led by Pedro Sanchez. I think the important thing again is that neither the PSOE nor Junts want new elections because elections are always very unpredictable yeah. affairs, and it's Junts knows Junts knows that they uh, would take a very big risk expecting to get the same kind of outcome and the same leverage in a new general election. Okay, so. Everybody progressive, if you want, which I assume is the vast majority of the listeners to the Sobra Mesa podcast, was very anxious about the results of the 23rd of July. Um, it was a scare. It was, you know, it was a fear that it was going to be a right and a hard right new government in Spain and we're entering a completely new terrain. That has been removed. And, and I think nobody amongst the major negotiators wants to see that happen or take a risk with that 
future, uh, but with that future potential as well happening uh, again by having new elections. So nobody wants new elections. Uh, it may come down to the wire. It may come down to a few kind of like, you know, eyeball to eyeball stares and who blinks first. But I think we're, you know, that that is a reasonable anticipation to make. Yeah, no, agreed. I think it's true that the idea of giving the right another opportunity would be disastrous. And I think also the fact that they expectations have been raised, particularly within the independence movement, you know, people, it, particularly people in Johnson, the idea that you would take a step back now, where, where, would, where would they go? Just, yeah, be it an extremely risky move. Yeah. And, you know, an, an amnesty, hopefully in the terms that we spoke about, an amnesty is a big step forward. It is. It's a ma- yeah. it's a ma- I think it's a major political achievement. Um, and it, it does send all of the right signals that kind of things are going to be different in Madrid in terms of their approach to Catalonia. You know, there's been a, a great wound in Catalan society yeah. for at least six years um, around the prisoners, as you alluded to, the the culture of the yellow ribbons, et cetera, et cetera. So resolving that is a major um, political issue and, and should be interpreted, I think, as a, as a major concession on the part of Madrid, the authorities in Madrid, and as something that is a clearly bankable achievement on the part of the Catalan independence movement. Okay, it's not independence and it's not self-determination, but, you know, we maybe we'll come back to this at some other point, but until you get a really clear, solid social majority for independence in across Catalan society, that is just not on the horizon for the foreseeable future. No, exactly. I mean, and I think if you, if you had told people two, three years ago, that we we were looking at pretty sweeping amnesty for the independence movement. It was it was inconceivable at that point. So I think it is it, that you know we have come a long way since then. As you said, we have to remember what an exceptional situation it was I mean, to have you know political representatives jailed for non-violent actions, etc. You know it was it was a terrible mark against Spanish democracy. I think this this is a is a key moment, or it, it represents a potential closing of that route, as you said. Uh, well, look, Andrew, as always, great to talk to you. Really, really interesting. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Thanks, Kit.